So I'm really confused as to what the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic is. Regardless of whatever you call it, people are still going to panic. Is everyone just going to be working remotely and avoiding travel for the foreseeable future? So just how serious is the coronavirus situation? Really? For you personally? There's no question there is not really a sector of our society that has not been impacted by what has happened over the last several weeks. Having covered a lot of these outbreaks over the last 20 years... I knew that the economy would be affected, but I don't think anyone could have predicted just how badly coronavirus fears coupled with an oil price war would tank the markets. What is clear is that investors, parents, just about everyone is getting spooked. Look, some of it is warranted and some of it is not. And today we're going to explain why. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Let's start at the beginning, or at least as close to the beginning as possible. In December of last year, a novel, or new virus, started circulating in China. And over the last three months, the virus spread to nearly 100 countries and regions around the world. More than 100,000 people have been infected, and around 4,000 have died. Incidentally, when you hear the global fatality rate is around 4%, now you have a rough idea of where they get those numbers. Let's also define some terms that are increasingly being used by public health officials. And I will preface by saying sometimes they sound scarier than they are. For example, you may have noticed that CNN shifted its terminology yesterday and started calling the ongoing coronavirus situation a pandemic. Truth is, many public health officials have been telling us that it meets the criteria for a pandemic for some time, and I will share those criteria with you in a moment. But still, we thought long and hard about using this word. This is not a decision we take lightly. We don't want to cause panic. We simply want everyone to be prepared. Individuals, hospital systems, cities, and the country. So let me get to some of your questions. Question one. First things first, what is a pandemic? Honestly, there isn't a universally agreed-upon definition, which was surprising to me. Many will describe it, generally speaking, as an outbreak that is spread to several countries and continents. It typically affects a large number of people. Harvard epidemiologist Mark Lipsitch says it helps to call a horse a horse. I think it helps clarify that it's not a series of locally contained outbreaks, and that when we see more cases, it's not because necessarily those cases just appeared, it's that we're finally testing them. I think the reporting, to some extent, has been that there are a few hundred cases at most in the United States, and that you know every day the number goes up a little bit, when in fact there may be quite a number of more cases. The testing is critical here, and with increased testing, we will certainly have increased numbers of those diagnosed with the infection. But that is good news and bad news. The bad news is that the numbers will go up. The good news is that many of the people who test positive may not be that ill, and that will bring down that fatality ratio. Remember those numbers we discussed earlier? Say that instead of 4,000 people dying out of 100,000, which is a 4% fatality rate, say instead it was 4,000 people dying out of 200,000. That would be a 2% fatality rate. You get it? So as more people test positive, 
it may bring that fatality ratio down. Also, another important thing about a pandemic is that it does not necessarily mean the symptoms of an illness are more serious or that the disease is more deadly. The three general criteria for a pandemic are a virus that can cause illness or death, sustained person-to-person transmission of that virus, and evidence of spread throughout the world. And that's what we're seeing with the novel coronavirus right now. Question two. So why is CNN calling this a pandemic now? Well, words matter. On Monday morning, we made the decision that many epidemiologists and public health experts had already made to call the novel coronavirus a pandemic. Essentially, we checked the final box. We already knew the virus was out there, and we recently learned there was community spread. After carefully evaluating the global picture, it is now clear there is spread around the world. In one day last week, the number of new cases outside of China was nearly nine times higher than the number of new cases in China. This virus has found a foothold on every continent except for Antarctica. And in several countries, the number of cases continues to climb. Again, just to reiterate, calling it a pandemic doesn't necessarily mean it's more deadly. It's just more widespread. So here at CNN... We knew using the word pandemic was a big decision, but we think it was the right one. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, thinks the focus should be on what we do going forward. People will call that a pandemic. CNN would call a pandemic. WHO will call a pandemic. It's not going to make any difference with what we do. That's the point. Instead of people getting all bent out of shape about what you call it, it's a serious situation for sure. Question three. So how does calling this a pandemic change things in terms of our response? Once something is considered a pandemic, it means that we've moved beyond this idea that we can simply contain the virus. And now all the focus is on slowing the spread as much as possible. So that would be switching gears from containment to mitigation. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams explained this in an appearance on CNN's State of the Union this past Sunday. Initially, we had a posture of containment so that we could give people time to prepare for where we are right now. Now we're shifting into a mitigation phase, which means that we're helping communities understand you're going to see more cases. Unfortunately, you're going to see more deaths, but that doesn't mean that we should panic. But again, it does mean that it is time to start preparing. Some countries around the world are taking drastic measures. Some of the largest quarantines ever recorded in history have taken place over the last few months. First in China, and now in Italy, where the entire country is in a state of lockdown. Quarantines could be recommended in the United States. Schools might be closed, and mass gatherings canceled in your town. It might mean changes at work, or how you work, as in working from home. It might mean putting off a family vacation or catching up over the phone instead of getting together. Question four. Do we have the infrastructure to support this pandemic? Well, as a doctor, I think of the medical infrastructure first. Nurses, doctors, hospital beds, ICU beds. And I am a little worried about that. For example, if lots of medical staff get exposed to the virus and need to be quarantined, we could start to quickly have a shortfall. At CNN's Coronavirus Town Hall last week, I asked Ron Klain about this. 
Klain was the Ebola response coordinator under President Obama. Getting our healthcare system ready for this influx of cases is something we should be doing now. We saw in China they, they built temporary hospitals. They really flexed up their capacity. And I think this is a point we all need to think about. The possible impact on our healthcare system is something we should be using this time while cases ramp up to really get ready for. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is estimating that if this becomes even a moderate pandemic, at least 200,000 people in the United States could need intensive care. Problem is, at the moment, our hospitals have fewer than 100,000 beds in intensive care units, and many of them are being used because we are in the middle of flu season. And we'll need more equipment on hand as well, like breathing machines. Again, estimates are that we would need around 65,000 breathing machines, and we have just barely enough, with again, many being currently used. This is all a fundamental part of pandemic preparedness, and we need to be working to address these deficiencies and plan ahead. Question 5. Should the elderly be afraid? So many listeners have reached out to ask about their parents and their grandparents. And you know what? I've been speaking to my own parents every day down in Florida. Older people are worried, understandably. We've been talking about the elderly in general terms as an at-risk population, but I want to be clear about who that means. When the CDC talks about older adults, they're really referring to anyone 60 years or older. Starting at age 60, there is an increasing risk of disease, and the risk increases with age. The highest risk of serious illness and death is in people older than 80 years. That's Dr. Nancy Messonnier, the director of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease. She was speaking in a teleconference on Monday. The people who are at greatest risk are those who are older and who also have serious long-term health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, or lung disease. You might not feel old if you're in your 60s, but you do need to take precautions. Dr. Anthony Fauci warns that even younger people need to think about the safety of older adults they interact with. 80% of people will do well if they don't have any underlying conditions. But you may get infected and then come home and infect your grandmother or grandfather who does have an underlying condition. So each family unit, each individual, has to look about not only the risk for themselves, but what risk will they putting the people around them in? But just because you're older or have an underlying condition, that doesn't mean it's fatal or that you'll even get seriously sick. It means you need to be prepared and take precautions. Use good judgment. Stay home as much as possible. Avoid crowded areas, especially now and for the next several weeks. Stay away from sick people, even if it is a granddaughter or a grandson who you haven't seen in a while. And if you do get sick, you need to get tested and you need to seek treatment. The World Health Organization's Director General, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, offered some optimistic words yesterday. Now that the virus has a foothold in so many countries, the threat of a pandemic has become very real. But it would be the first pandemic in history that could be controlled. The bottom line is we're not at the mercy of the virus. The bottom line is humanity has overcome pandemics before. In this globally connected world, we may be asked to add more social distance between one another. 
But that doesn't mean we still can't collectively come together as a nation and as a world. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.